Um, one quick announcement for us as we get started. Um, we are starting to promote our Fusion Spring Break mission trips. So those applications will now be available. You'll see people will be over at the Student Center um, at the booth at different times kind of promoting those trips. We have two trips this year. One team will be going to Mississippi, working with the Perkins Center on racial reconciliation and issues of justice. And the other team will be going to California, working with Stu Center for Student Missions. And the theme of that trip will be focused on homelessness awareness. It's in the Los Angeles area, working with Skid Row and some other um, interesting locations. So if you're interested in applying, these are during spring break. Um, but we form the teams here in December. Um, so be looking for more information for that. We also, I would like to introduce our chapel speaker um, for this morning. Some of you, oh, you already get a clap. You don't even know who it is yet. <laughs> we have Eric Samuel Tim with us, who is, um, who's here? <laughs> he is an orator, an author, and an artist. He earned his degree in ministry from North Central University and is currently working towards a doctorate degree in ministry at Northwestern University. He serves his local church as t teaching pastor and outreach evangelist. He currently lives in Minnesota with his wife and three children. He was on campus a few years ago, and we are so delighted to have him back. Um, many of you will recognize the painting in Hebrews Cafe, Repaint Jesus. He's actually the, the painter artist of that uh, painting as well. Um, so would you please join me in welcoming him this morning? <laughs> okay. What's going on, ENC? What? Hey, relax. Patriots are 7-0. We realize this. Uh, I forgot that I was going out east, and so my wife was packing my suitcase, and she put a Ravens shirt. It's kind of funny, I thought. Um, I was like, do you want me to get stabbed? I'm going to a Nazarene college. Those people are rough. Um, I uh, remember a couple times I was out east. I forgot that I was coming out like the Boston area. By the way, let me just simply say to everybody who's working on your computer or your cell phone or you're studying for the next test, th that's like the next hour, you're a procrastinator. <laughs> so you're probably going to fail anyway. Shut it. Um, second thing, I promise not to waste your time. I promise if you if you hang with me, you will actually get something from God's word. This will be one of your most favorite chapels for the rest of your life. I'm maybe, I'm maybe a little biased, but whatever. And thanks for coming to Mandatory Chapel. <laughs> I really appreciate that all of you would choose to come to Mandatory Chapel. Okay. I got off the plane last night. I'm waiting for my luggage. And uh, the lady on the intercom, she goes, uh, all the luggage is available on capsule number four. You can get it and pick it up and get out of here. That's what it was like. And I was like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I was in New Hampshire a little while ago, and this guy walks up to me after I got done speaking, and he goes, I love you, Ad. What? I'm like, dude, I'm from Minnesota, man. We, we, we like use punctuation and stuff. He's like, love you, Ad. I'm like, I... I don't know what, 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 what are you saying? You love my eye? Oh, yes, my heart, yes. You, I, I love that you see Jesus through my heart. I can only assume that that's what he's saying. And he goes, no, no, I have motorcycles. You, you what? I have motorcycles. You, I love you. 
Hollies, Holly Davidsons. I do art on Holly Davidsons. Oh, you like my art, you airbrush motorcycles. Now we're tracking. <laughs> oh, man. Classic. That same, um, that same festival I was at, I had a funnel cake. How many of you love funnel cakes? My man. Nice beard, by the way. No Shave November. You're already up a few notches. When I was in college, dude, I could hardly grow eyebrows, okay? You got straight up churn your own butter, okay? Abraham Lincoln, Mennonite homeschooled Amish beard right there. That's you. I love it. It's looking good. Eventually, you'll be able to hide stuff in there. Okay, um, this funnel cakes uh, uh, are amazing. Um, and if you don't like funnel cakes, you're just lying to yourself. Um, if funnel cakes aren't in heaven, and all of the teachers that are here, this is very theologically accurate, I'm going to be very disappointed. Because uh, there's no suffering in heaven. And if funnel cakes aren't there, that's going to include suffering for me. I'm going to be like, I have thought about this. If there's no funnel cakes in heaven, I'm going to walk up to the Lord. I'm going to be like, um, hallowed be your name. But what's up with the no funnel cake rule? And God's going to be like, hold out your hand. (laughs) It just appears in my hand. I've thought about this. What if God makes it appear in your hand and then there's no powdered sugar? That's so disappointing because the powdered sugar, as you know, Abe, (laughs) the powdered sugar is the best part. So I'll be like, God, hallowed be your name, but there's no powdered sugar. And then God's like, he summons an angel. Angel. And then an angel comes over. That was God summoning an angel. Do you like that? Angel. Okay. (laughs) Some guy named Angel stands up in the back. What's up? The angel comes over and hovers above my funnel cake, flicks its wing out, takes its right hand, claw, whatever they have, and goes through its wings as the dust from the angel's wings falls onto the funnel cake. That's where powdered sugar comes from. In my mind. Now you know. Or, if it's not from the angel's wings, he takes and he flicks the deodorant balls out of his... You use deodorant? You had those? Those Those are... Some of you tomorrow are going to be eating a powdered donut, and you're going to be like, ah, I don't think so. There's actually a scientific reason why funnel cakes um, taste so good together. Uh, That, that, uh, well, butter, oil, flour, uh, deep frying anything, by the way, um, and coating it in some sort of sweet, sugary substance is what's known as tophology. It's the study of food combinations. It's the same reason why in a couple um, weeks you're going to go home for Thanksgiving break and you are going to study tophology. <laughs> when you've got that turkey and that cranberry and the stuffing and the potatoes and the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes and those potatoes and those other types of potatoes. <laughs> and you put all that sauce on it and you kind of like make one plate and then three plates and then you're so stinking full you can't even breathe. That's tophology. It's like the study of food combinations. Um, and it's just, it's just um, one of those things about life that proves some things are what? Better together. 
Uh, some things truly are, are better together. It's not just in food that we see this play out in the world that we live in. It's um, actually in nature, too. Uh, in nature, um, there are plant species, uh, and over 80% of the plants uh, survive because what's called a symbiotic relationship. Symbiosis is an ancient Greek word. Okay, for all my Greek scholars out there, the ancient Greek word together and living. The living together of unlike organisms is how you would define symbiosis or a symbiotic relationship. 80% of the plants on this planet right now need that relationship to survive because some things are what? Some of you are getting it. Some things are what? All the way in the back, some things are what? Some things are better together, uh, not just in the plant kingdom, but in, um, in, in the animal kingdom as well. Uh, there's a bird uh, called the oxpecker. Uh, lean to your neighbor and say oxpecker. Because you can right now. The, the bird called the oxpecker has an amazing uh, relationship with the rhinoceros or, or zebra. The bird's favorite meal is not funnel cakes, it's ticks. The uh, rhinoceros or the zebra, they, the zebra? Did I just say zebra? Okay, moving on. <laughs> the rhinoceros or the zebra has these problems with ticks, and the, well, oxpecker wants to eat those ticks, and so the rhinoceros and the zebra allow the oxpecker to live on the back of the animal and eat those ticks. They get a meal. They remove the ticks. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's, it's some things are what? Say it with me, everybody. Some things are what? Okay, uh, there's another one that I really love. It's the leaf ant and the, um, uh, excuse me, the meat ant and the leaf hopper. These um, leaf hoppers are a very defenseless little beetle. Uh, it's this little like bug that doesn't have any defense mechanism whatsoever. It's got one talent. It can it body, it's, its body produces this very specific sucrose, this very interesting, like, sugary substance, and it poops candy. <laughs> Literally, like little Werther's originals just come right out of the <laughs> back of that. Now, what's amazing about that is that's its only skill. However, the meat ants, the most, like, vicious ants, like, you've seen those... Uh, Discovery Channel shows where the ants are all in a line and they're taking and they're like, like totally dismantling a carcass. And these ants eat anything and everything and they don't eat the leafhoppers. Here's why. They let them live among them because the meat ants actually need that sugary substance to build the walls of their nests. The, the leafhoppers give them that. The meat ants, well, don't eat them uh, because some things are what? Come on, all the way in the back. Some things are what? Okay, there's one famous one uh, in nature that you probably maybe have seen before. It's this one right here. Remember? <laughs> just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Remember? Okay, Nemo, the sea anemone. Anemone, Okay, and, and the clownfish. Do you know why the clownfish can live inside the anemone? You probably do. The, the anemone has these uh, tentacles that sting its prey. The clownfish has been designed in such a way not only to look absolutely stunningly beautiful, striped, uh, very unique, um, but also it has this special covering over its skin that keeps it safe from the stinging tentacles of the anemone because some things are what? Okay, are you getting the point? Um, some things are better together in food, in, in nature, um, and, um, well, and in, in the Bible. Um, let's just let's be honest. 
Um, you can read about it, in your, it for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we can get you one. Or you could stay at a hotel. <laughs> and you could take one. That's where I got this one. Free continental breakfast and a Bible. Um, we see it in food. We see it in nature. We see it in the Bible that some things are better together. God made the beast of the earth, Genesis 1.25, and everything after its kind, and he sees that it is good. And then God simply says, okay, wait a second. Um, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I've got to make a helper for him. So um, it goes from good to not good. And uh, ladies, um, we'll get to you in just a second. But guys, you were made by God, uh, formed from the dirt, the clay, the dome of it all. And you were breathed into uh, air, breath of life. So girls, when you meet a guy that's, that's full of a lot of hot air and kind of seems like a dirt ball, don't, don't hold it against him. <laughs> kind of how he was made. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Guys, we were made by God. We were formed like this, and God says it's good, and then it's not good. And, and girls, you got to catch this for a second, because every woman in this room, look at me in the face. If you don't hear anything, the rest of this chapel, hear this and remember this, not with the ears of your heart or your, your head, but the ears of your heart. The next time you look in the mirror and the enemy tells you that you're not beautiful enough, that you're not shaped the right way, that your hair should go the other way or it should be a different color or your eyes should be closer or wider or you should be a different shape or you should do something about your appearance to make you be the person that you want to see on some television show or some magazine or some reality that someone has projected on you of what beauty is. The next time the enemy looks at you and says that you are not good enough, girls, I want you to know this. When the world was made, it was not good in fact, it was just good. Arguably, you could say that it was okay. And then, ladies, you got here. And that's when it became very good. So I, wanna, I want you to remember that, woman. I want you to remember that because every single girl in here looks in the mirror and says you're not good. But God declares that the world was just good until you came, and then it became very good. That's when he rested because you, you were it. Don't forget it. And guys, don't ever forget, the reason why a woman can cut straight to your heart is because she wasn't originally designed to protect it. So be careful who you allow to guard your heart. What, was it that good? You can clap for it if it's that good. Okay, because I'm from Minnesota. I don't really understand all the, oh, yeah. He got you. Okay, I mean, what? I, whatever. <laughs> so we see this in, in nature. We see this in food. We see this even in our own origin story that some things are what? Some things are better together. So if there's one person that could ever do life alone, if there's one person that ever walked the earth that didn't need the math, some things are better together. If there's one person that ever like, had his feet on his earth, I hope that was important. If, if there's one person... <laughs> next time I come to your work, I'll just play video games too. Next time, um, if there's one... What? What? I'm just calling out the obvious. It's all good. If there's one person that could ever do life alone, who do you think it would be? 
Who wouldn't need some things are better together? If there's one person that wouldn't need community, if there's one person that could overcome all odds all the time, every time, they wouldn't need other people in their life, they wouldn't need other people about him. Or if there's one person, I think it would be this person right here, Chuck Norris. I mean, look at that guy. You missed a few buttons, Chuck. Just a few. Okay, Chuck... Chuck has a father, a father above all fathers. So, so maybe it's not Chuck Norris, but maybe it's Chuck Norris's dad. Okay, it, it's Mr. T, it's just Mr. T, but he, he's not Mr. T without the A-team, right? Because some things are what? Better two together. Uh, if I was going to say there's one person that could ever do life alone, it could ever do this whole thing called community by themselves, it would have to be Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1.13 talks about Jesus. He, he rescued us from the d- domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of light. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I mean, he has literally been created uh, first before all things, visible and invisible. Where the thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created for him and through him. He holds all things together. Do, do you realize that the lungs that are bring, bringing air into your body and releasing it out of your body are held together by the power of the Christ? He holds all things t- together. If there's one person that I would submit to you that could do this life alone, that could that could defy the math that some things are better together, that he wouldn't need anyone else. It probably would be Jesus. But that's not what we see. And and that's the crazy part. That's not what we see Jesus do. Um, In rabbinical studies... Um, at the university I teach. I, I teach uh, sociology of American youth, homiletics uh, three and four, and uh, I teach um, an intro to Jewish studies. And in, in rabbinical, in, in this idea of how a rabbi would choose disciples, it's paramount to understand why, why is it important that Jesus chose the disciples. Because you, you didn't do that as a rabbi. Disciples came to you, or Talmud or students came to you and said, we want, to, um, we want to be your student. Much like when most of you, all of you, in fact, had to fill out an application form at some point at, to come to this university, you had to fill it out. And it said, I want to come to ENC. I want to be your student. And they looked over your credentials, your GPA. They looked over the possibility. They looked over your referrals and they said, you can come be our student. That's what you would do. Um, now, now, that's not how it was done here uh, in Jesus' case. Jesus walks up to these disciples who are fishing, and to be at that place at that time, more than likely they had been already overlooked for the studies of the rabbi, or a rabbi had denied them. So they got to a certain point after their boyhood, and then they move into this transitional period where now they're going to move into what they want to do as a um, 
Talmud or a student of a rabbi to become a rabbi, and they walk up to a rabbi and they go, we want to be your student. Do we have what it takes? And they say, no, you don't have what it takes. You can't come to ENC and go back and be a fisherman. And that's who on the shore. They were overlooked, cast aside, not good enough. And Jesus walks up to them and he says to them, hey, Simon, Peter, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Why did they immediately leave their nets and follow him? Because when a rabbi says that you have what it takes and you were overlooked by other rabbis that said you don't have what it takes, you drop your nets and follow the rabbi because you're getting a second chance at your dream. Some things are better together. Jesus knew it. And he chose the disciples. And for much of my Christian life as a follower of Jesus... I would look at that from one perspective. The disciples needed Jesus, and this is true. We all do. But I think Jesus needed the disciples. Those 12, 11, then 12, I mean, that's part of the reason why we're sitting and standing in this room. Because Jesus needed the disciples just as much as they needed him. And he needs you just as much as you need him. Jesus knew this math. And rather than tell you what this math is, I'd rather show you, because I think sometimes you can see things far better than you can hear them. Jesus, Jesus knew the math. Uh, the we is, is greater than the me. And when, when do we need this community, when do, when do we need it most? When do we need this revelation from Jesus' life that some things are truly better together? I had a friend uh, who lost his job at a church. Wasn't a moral failure. Wasn't an um, incident that would make him uh, unfit for service, whatever that would look like in the covenant relationship that he had agreed to. He didn't break any rules um, that he had um, said that, that he would follow. It just was the fact that a new senior pastor came into the church and the church was going through some transition and they were just simply eliminating his position. And so out of nowhere, they, um, they decided to let him go. I happened to be in that town that night, the day that he found out that he just lost his job of the previous 15 years the fact of how much he poured into this college and career and this outreach ministry and what had, he had seen accomplished through what God had done through his life um, was monumental, to say the least. I remember um, driving over to his house only to have already been um, beaten there by 15, 16 cars. I walked into the back of his yard where he's got this little fire pit that looked overlooks the city of Calgary. And um, there's 22 people around this circle. And out of nowhere, 22 of his closest community came to support him. Um, they even passed a, a hat around the circle uh, to, to then everyone would just take up an offering at that point just to launch him into the next, next phase of his ministry. Because some things are better together. 
I remember in Uganda, outside of Lake Victoria, I stood next to the shore. It was a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Seeing this pearl of Africa, as Uganda is known, is um, none other than breathtaking. When I was leaving this beautiful part, I went into some of the areas that have beauty, but it's yet to be discovered. Have beauty, but it's potential. Have beauty, but it's enshrouded in poverty and hopelessness. And this woman, as I was leaving her village, walked up to me. And she held her baby like this. And through a translator and her tears, she asked me to take this child back to the United States. Because she too knows some things are better together. Uh, by the way, um, that, that doesn't happen with compassion children. Kids that are a part of Compassion International, their mothers get to keep their babies. Their mothers get to raise their children. Their mothers aren't forced with a decision to hand over their lifeblood to some stranger getting on a plane because compassion also believes some things are better together. I was in the Philippines. I was eating a Big Mac because when I travel internationally, I always eat McDonald's. It reminds me of home. If you don't like McDonald's, again, you're lying to yourself. It's delicious. A Big Mac is an American thing. Get used to it. Just start eating them. And I'm eating this Big Mac in the Philippines. And um, this, well, previous to that encounter with that Big Mac, I was a couple blocks this way in a district full of red lights where someone's daughter or son is sold for 20 bucks and they're raped. 30 times a day. Somebody that flies there buys a child like a piece of meat out of a window and then does whatever they want to do with them physically. And now I'm eating a Big Mac after that kind of day. And this man walks in the door holding these two little girls. He's not their grandfather. And he's got this little girl here and this little girl here, one seven, maybe one eight, and they're dirty and the eyes are bloodshot and they're, they're crying and they're weeping. And I don't know what happened before they walked into that McDonald's, but I do know this. He brings them up to the counter, buys them both a Happy Meal, and they look like the, like the dead walking. They come over and sit kitty corner from my table. And I'm sitting there and they're sitting there. And that guy's sitting there with those two girls. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been so close to wanting to harm someone in my life. Guys, you know what I wanted to do to that dude? Take him out back behind McDonald's. And I come back and he stays back there for a very long time. And then it hit me, the fact that Jesus loves that man just as much as he loves me, and he loves those girls just as much as he loves me. And that man at some point decided to remove himself from community. Yet Jesus would still choose him, just like he chose Judas with a ticking time bomb in his life. A couple blocks in this direction was a church. 
where 200 plus children were sponsored from college students and parents and grandparents all over the world that sponsored these little kids. And their meals that they get from the 38 bucks with food, clothing, education, we could go through the list that everything, 83 to 86% of every dollar actually going to directly impact your sponsor child. They, They actually had happy meals. Not happy meals, but meals filled with joy. And I think every single one of you come to the realization today that some things are better together. That Jesus knew the math, that the we is greater than me. And you should all sponsor a child with compassion for two reasons. Community is like an umbrella. It's like a, it's like a covering. That moment when my life hit the skid, it was like this covering. The moments when you are facing something, the people in your life, it's like a covering. Community is like an umbrella. It's like a shelter from those storms. The woman in Uganda trying to give me her child, that's, she's looking for a covering. She's looking for a, a larger community because that's what community is like. Some things are better together because, because together we are united and united uh, we stand and divided we fall. And it's like this covering that we come underneath. This is the power of this. We've seen it. We felt it. Uh, by the way, in 1985, here's some stats for you. This is from the Barna Group, 1985. People that were living below the poverty line, which is $1.35 a day, was 56% of the world. 56% of the world were below the poverty line at $1.25 a day in 1985. Now, that number, Tyler, is this. 21% of the people in the world are living below the poverty line at $1.25 today because community has become like an umbrella. We are more connected than we ever have been at any time in history. Ministries like Compassion International have seen a 56% down to 21%. And I submit to you this, Church of Today and Tomorrow, your generation will see the end of global poverty by the year. By the year 2035. Your generation will see the end of global poverty by the year of 2035. Because some things are better together. Because in 1985, it was 56, and then now it's 21%. And guess what? On this trajectory, having nothing else to do, you'll see the end of it. Where the entire, yes, there'll be hot spots. Yes, there'll be moments where it'll be, it'll be a little bit heated, and there'll be these Syrian crises that come out of nowhere. But your generation will see the end of global poverty. Because you have caught it. You are the most aware, gifted, talented generation ever to walk this earth. And you have caught this concept that community is like an umbrella. And you know it to be true. Poverty will end by the year 2035. Because you, you won't forget that. It's not just what we say, it's what we do. It's not just this idea of community, it's the reality of it. I'll never forget when I sponsored my first sponsor child, Crystal. I understood first and foremost what community was really like. I was at an event, Pennsylvania actually, a creation festival. 
and I was eating a funnel cake, no joke. And this guy gets up front and he starts talking about all the things that are happening in our world, like uh, stats like this, 24,000 children die a day because they can't get food. I'm, I mean, I open up my fridge and I look in there and I like, there's nothing to eat and I shut it and it's full of food. Or you have a meal ticket and you go to like a cafe and you just swipe it. Yeah, maybe you have to pay it back later in life. But the truth is this, is you, you, you eat. We don't know what hunger's like. 24,000 children die today from a preventable disease called hunger. Every 15 seconds, a child dies because they can't get what I've got in my bucket, clean water. Uh, the sex trade, every time you listen to a song on the radio, I mean, 12, 13 girls are sold into a district full of red lights. I mean, all these stats. And I got overwhelmed in that moment. Have you ever been overwhelmed in that type of setting where you see all of the bleakness and all of the darkness and you ask the question, God, where are you? I asked the same question and the Holy Spirit just answered this. He goes, um, well, where are my people? God promises to restore and repair all those things, but until the end, guess who he uses? College students. Middle-aged dads. Even Ravens fans. He promises to restore and repair all those things, but until the end, guess who he uses? Us. I ask the, the, God this question. God, why does the, why do poverty exist? Why do these things even happen? And he says, because uh, you happened and you have a role. Stop asking why and start asking what can you do because you're, you're part of the solution, not the problem. I filled out this form of this little girl on the table after he started talking about compassion. Now, I stopped listening altogether because I'd been to the concerts. I've heard the, the whole appeal. I just turned off my hearing aid, said I'm done listening. And so I walked out of this like area of where he was speaking, and then I just said, you know what? I'm going to sponsor a child. I'm going to sponsor a child. I don't believe it. I'm going to give it a shot. I filled out the form. I turned it in. A couple weeks later, well, a month and a half, actually, I got a letter back from a little girl in Nicaragua named Crystal. Didn't believe it. Didn't think it was real. So I called Compassion on the back of the card. I said, I want to go meet this girl that I sponsored. When do you want to go? April 16th, when I get my taxes back. That's an expensive flight. So I got on a plane from Minneapolis to Managua, Managua to Houston, uh, uh, Houston, Texas, Managua, Nicaragua, and the pastor of the church um, came and picked me up. By the way, I think that's important to note. Compassion International works through the local church. They do it in Jesus' name. It's not a bunch of guys riding in on choppers. They, they do it in Jesus' name. In social justice, uh, with justice for the soul, is justice. I mean, you can feed everybody, but if you don't give them the bread of life, what, what do we really give them? This is what compassion does, and they do it through the local church. So her pastor, who's in charge of her life, comes and picks me up, takes me on this like death cab taxi ride through the streets. We finally get to this house that looks like the laundry basket flipped upside down, and I open up the door, and there's this Nicaraguan woman named Isabella. She sees me. She sees my wife. She starts to weep. She grabs me around my neck, and she says, Eric, thank you for being Jesus to my family. Thank you for repainting Jesus. Thank you for realizing that the math is we, then, then not, just, not just me. And then as she's crying, I'm crying, I look 
over her shoulder, and I see this little girl that once was a packet, and now she's standing in front of me. And I said, God, I'll always, I'll always be a voice for the voiceless. Because community, community speaks up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Some things are just better, better together. Like me and that little girl standing in the dirt. We're just better together. The second reason why I think all of you should sponsor a child with compassion is just simply this. Your community is bigger than this room. It is. Hey, does anybody have a buck I could borrow? Abe, do you have a buck? I got to pay for a taxi on the way to the airport. You have a 20? Wow. What do you do? <laughs> you have a dollar? Okay. So if you have a dollar, if you have a dollar, just, just raise your hand. Um, Abe, you know what? I'll take your 20. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate your donation, bro. Um, no, but if you have, a, a lot of you have a dollar or you have a 20 and maybe you'd give it to me and maybe you wouldn't. But have you ever noticed if you're in line at Hebrews and someone's a buck short, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll spot you. Or if you need parking and someone's like, hey, you got a buck for the meter? You're like, yeah, I got a buck for the meter. Or if you need a dollar and you turn to your friend, they'll give you a dollar. Have you ever noticed how easy that is? Sometimes even in a stranger in line or someone within the vicinity of our life, how fast we'd give them just something little for something little. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Have you ever experienced that in your life? It's because they're in our community. And why is it so hard for for us to sponsor a child for a buck something a day? I mean, we give it to people in our community really easy, but it's really hard for us to give a buck something a day to, to a child because our version in my life, I've experienced this. My definition of community is very narrow. It's very small. They're just not part of my community, so it's hard for me to give them a buck. Your community is bigger than this room. Community is like an umbrella. Some things are better together. Jesus knew the math that we is greater than me. So my question for you today is just simply this. Those of you that are here, that maybe you feel like, like Judas, maybe you feel like, how could God ever choose me because of what's going on in my life or what has gone on in my life? I want you to know this. Jesus chooses you. Period. My uh, second... My second cry of my heart is simply this. Sponsor a child. Sponsor a child with compassion because it is working. Poverty, poverty will end. Join me, join millions of others in having community be an umbrella, enlarging your view of it, and sponsor a child and change their life, because it'll change yours. Here's what I want to say to you. If you have ever sponsored a child at some point, or took a packet and never filled it out, 
or you were at an event in another organization, um, you sponsored a child, and then you quit sponsoring that child. Because money got tough. You somehow lost the value. You just sponsored or thought about sponsoring. You never followed through or you quit. And I'm talking to you right now. I want you to know something. Uh, Take guilt off yourself. Um, Failure is not trying again. Sponsor a child again. The Father in heaven is not looking down at you because you quit sponsoring that child. Compassion International does an amazing job of insulating those children when sponsors move in and out of their life. Don't, don't, don't let your personal sense of failure keep you from sponsoring a child again because, because failure is just not trying again. Sponsor a child. If you've ever sponsored a child or quit sponsoring a child, sponsor again. Maybe some of you uh, couldn't sponsor a child on your own. But Abe, you got 20 bucks. You only have to find one other person, preferably with a beard, to, to have another 20 bucks. And you sponsor a child together. And maybe for the next three, two, one year, maybe for the time that you're here at ENC, you make it a goal together as, as a band of brothers or a band of sisters to sponsor a child together, not separate, but together. Because maybe you can't do it on your own, but maybe you got someone in your life that you could to- you totally, your roommate, you know that you could do it together. Maybe sponsor a child together. Because the community is, is like an umbrella. It's, it's so much bigger than this room. I've brought um, children here uh, because some of you are current sponsors. Who's the current sponsors with Compassion? Just put your hand up really tall so I can see it. Put your hand up really tall. Okay, if you currently sponsor a child with compassion after this service, hand down. I want you to come down here to me. I want you to come right down here to me because I brought children from specific projects in high-risk child rights violation areas that I want to give to you that I want you to take with over your Thanksgiving break, and I want you to find a sponsor for this child. I want you, if you currently sponsor a child, to come down here and take one of these children because I want you to take it with you on Thanksgiving break and and share your compassion story with somebody. Share the fact, what you've experienced in the letters. Someone in your life, maybe your family member, maybe your brother or your mother, or whoever it may be, but I want you who currently sponsor kids to take these kids from me and find a sponsor over Thanksgiving break. For the rest of you that are re-sponsoring or sponsoring again, uh, or maybe for the first time as an individual, or maybe a baseball team, or, or the whole basketball team. What if the basketball team decided to sponsor a couple? you got a game coming up. Uh, what would that look like? Well, for those people in the foyer right in the back, there's a table with beautiful lives, just like this, just like Crystal that are waiting for you to have a big view of community, to be their umbrella, to look at the math and how Jesus presented the we is is greater than the me, and to walk out of here with a child in your hand because some things, some things are what? Better together. Jesus, I just pray for every student here that's on the fringe of faith, 
They're here because their parents have paid their way. God, I pray that the questions they have about faith, the questions they have about you would be answered in this season of their life. I pray that you'd give people courage to sponsor these children. I pray that every person in here, God, would really ask the question, are they a part of ending poverty in 2035? And what they do? When their grandkids ask them, how did you end 2035? How did, how did you end? How did you see it end? Will they tell the story of a child on a packet? Will they tell the story of a life? Will they tell the story of community? Will they tell the story of how it's bigger? Jesus, let those conversations with, those, with their grandchildren be powerful and lead that generation to do something even greater through you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. ENC, my name is Eric Samuel Tim. There are children on that table. Take one of those packets if you need to get to class, fill it out, turn it into your commons or your lunchroom area. They'll be there until after lunch. If you can do it now, do it now. If you're going to be late for class, I'll talk to your teacher. Trust me, I'll win. <laughs> you are a great audience. Thanks for being here today.